Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Wow. I'm coming every week. <laughs> Believe it or not, I have not always been bald. I know it doesn't look that way. Like, clearly, hair has never grown on this head. But I have not always been bald. And just to give you some proof of that, here is a picture of me with hair. Okay? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just straight mullet life. It was amazing. So, um, but very, very quickly, early in my life, I started losing hair. I don't know why. Uh, but so my hair started getting shorter and shorter and shorter just to try to hide what was going on on the top of my head. I just tried to get less and less hair. And eventually I just took a, 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 like clippers and started going to my head at like a one guard and just like gave up basically. You know, I was just like, <laughs> whatever, you know. And so, but uh, at least it was a one guard. At least it was something. But as soon as it went outside of that one, as soon as it, it started going like, you know, it was just kind of weird. And there was different textures going on around. It just, it wasn't great. And well, I can remember one time my wife and I had gone to our first mission trip, our first trip abroad across to Europe and to the Czech Republic and we we're really excited about it but we had no idea what we were doing and uh, everyone that told us essentially told us two things you need your passports don't lose your passports you absolutely need your passport and you also need a converter for your plugs you need something to convert whatever electricity voltage science right okay there so <laughs> so essentially um, we got we ordered those we were good and we went to Czech Republic we were there for two weeks about halfway in my hair was like oh yeah and by, it started growing out to like, you know, and different textures. So I brought my clippers just in case I knew something like this was going to happen. Like, so I ended up, we ended up at a hotel. I plugged my clippers in. I started going, sounds like, oh, you're going to look good, Tito. You know, and so I started kind of shave, shaving it. But my, my clippers started getting hot. It was weird. It was just feeling like heat. And I was like, gosh, these feel hot. Oh, yeah, you're going to look good, right? And so I just started keep, keep clipping. About halfway in, I kid you not, halfway in, I start smelling burning. I don't know if you've ever, like, smell, like metal just burning or just some sort of burn. I was like, man, it's hot. And like, man, I smell burning. Oh, yeah, and I just kind of stepped going. So I got to about halfway through, maybe a line after halfway through. And this side was like, oh, yeah, but this side was like, Meh. and then, all of the lights went out in the whole hotel. Gone. It was like, and I was like, what happened? And then I felt my hand sizzling. And I was like, I think I did that. So immediately, I go in my mind to like, like abroad, but prisons, imprisoned abroad. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a show like that, whatever. But I was like, I don't want to go to jail, you know. And my wife is like, Tito, the power went out. And I ran into the other hotel. I'm like, shut up, be quiet. She's like, what's wrong? I said, I think that was me. So I was like, hold on, hold on. In my mind at the time, I had loved Jason Bourne. Have you, any of you seen the Bourne identity? And here's why. He would go across to the other part of the world, and he would just take over and wreck people. You know, I just loved that. It was very un-Jesus-like, but I still loved it. And so <laughs> essentially, I thought, Molly, it's okay. I'm going to figure this out. And all in my mind, I was like, I'm Jason Bourne. You know, and so I started going out to the hallway and all I was thinking was I have to find the breaker box of some sort and figure out what's going on. I don't know why I presumed I could just find the breaker box in this hotel, but I'm looking up and down the hallway, I go to the second floor because we're on the third. And sure enough, in the hallway, 
exposed to everyone, almost as if Jesus knew this was going to happen. And he placed it there for me. I was able to go to the breaker box I saw, and I was like, flicked one on, boom, lights come on. And I was like, boom, boom, boom. You know, like I just thought I was amazing. So I went upstairs. I was like, Molly, I'm good. We're good. Nobody's going to jail. It's amazing. You're going to keep your husband. But I still have a little wah, wah going on in the other side of my head, so I got to finish this thing up. So I started using the clippers, click, click. I had completely burned it out. And I had no other recourse. It's not, so I was like, Molly, do you have clippers? <laughs> she was like, why would I have clippers? So I had no choice. I had to shave my head for the first time ever, which does not sound like a big deal because that's what I have today. But at the time, I had just imagined that that was not going to happen until I was in an assisted living facility somewhere. <laughs> And so here is the first picture of me with no hair, completely shaved, very sad. You see the sadness in my eyes right there? It's very, very sad. Um, but I wish I had done things very differently. My name is Tito. Again, I just want to welcome you all here. Of course, any of you who are watching online, thank you so much, Shay, and the leadership here for even entrusting me to stand up here and talk to you guys. We're in our, our last week of take two, where we are talking about what it looks like to have a second take. You know, when you're thinking about what actors do and they miss a line or something, and then they have to take another take. Well, many of us would love to do that in our lives. I bet you if you were to think right now of a moment or a hundred moments that you could take back in your life, you probably could think of those very easily. And so we're going to focus on somebody in the Bible who probably could have used a take two. His name is Samson. And so we're going to be in the book of Judges. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Judges. If you have them, you can turn them on and, and uh, press a couple buttons and get to Judges. But why don't we pray before we do that? Father, we are so grateful um, for the opportunity to dive into your word. Your word is life-giving. It teaches us. It inspires us. It encourages us. And I just thank you, Father, um, that you are a God of second, third, hundredth takes and chances. And so I just thank you for that. Help us all recognize the areas that we could maybe live in that truth or even avoid some of that. And we just ask for your spirit to be the king here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in the book of Judges talking about a guy named Samson. For those of you who, I'm not going to presume anybody knows who Samson is, we're going to kind of talk about the story today. And Samson was a guy who was born in Palestine in about the 12th century BC. And the people of God, God's people, the Israelites, this nation, this small rogue nation, is not doing very well. Uh, they, they're actually under some sort of military occupation by a whole pagan nation called the Philistines. And, and the Philistines maintained a pretty strict gun control policy. They did not allow the, the, the Israelites at all to have any materials that would be metal of any kind. And so while the Philistines had armor and swords, there's no way the Israelites had that. But they also had to deal with their land with wooden plows and they had clubs and, and just wooden wooden gear as opposed to the metal that the Philistines had. And so um, they were really no match for this Philistine, uh, ocu uh, the, uh, the occupiers, the ones who are in control of the situation. And the Hebrews essentially are really crying out at this point for help. Like they're just crying out to God, like, God, please help us. We are in dire straits. We can't even manage our land. We're under the rule of these really bad people who on the on the regular, 
uh, practice all kinds of wild rituals. And so here, these this people who are now crying out to God for help. And many of us maybe have been in that situation where we have cried out to God. If you identify as a Christian, you've definitely done that. But even if you are here and you're just trying to figure it out, there you might have even been a time in your life where you've just been like, if there is a God out there, please help me. And so here is where the, this, this group of people is at. But the, the thing is, they're in a cycle of doing this over and over again. In fact, when we look, if you were to read the book of Judges, which I encourage you to, you would see a cycle of, of this group of people essentially being in a time of peace and then turning away from God and then crying out. And so let's look at that cycle real fast. Hey, there, there's a time where they just love God and they're living in peace and they're doing the things that honor God and they're loving each other and helping and sharing. But then as they have less need for God, as they become more prosperous, as they have more material things, they start to turn turn away from God. They don't need God as much. And so they start turning toward other things that they feel like they need in that culture. It might be idols. It might be relationships. It might be uh, a sexual worship. All kinds of other things started happening where they would begin to turn away from God. And God's crying out like, hey, I thought we were really close. I love you. You love me. And they're like, God, who? They essentially are just chasing whatever they want to chase at the time. And so essentially God steps back and kind of removes his protection. And they would ultimately become enslaved to another group of people or another nation. And then that would cause them to suffer a, a time, you know, many years where they would then eventually cry out to God, start calling out to God, asking God to help them out of the situation that they're in. And then ultimately, God ends up sending someone to help. In this case, they call them judges. The judges were here before kings were. And these judges essentially were political, um, uh, military, spiritual leaders. And so God would send one of these men or women to, to come rise up and help the, the, his people out. And then as they got rescued, they would have a, a period of peace, and then the cycle would begin. Again, that's the cycle that this group of people is in when we finally come to the place of Samson. But I have to believe, maybe, maybe because when I read this, I see a lot of my own life in this cycle. And I don't know if anyone in this room relates to this cycle, but I see so much of my life where there things are going well and there's prosper, prosperous in my life. Maybe the bank account's good. Maybe my marriage is good at that time. And all of a sudden I start turning away and kind of maybe it happens and a drift doesn't happen overnight. But eventually all of a sudden God's kind of an afterthought in my life. And I start moving into other things that end up giving me cause for consequence and, and things that I have to now address that are not great for my life or for my marriage or for my family. And then I end up crying out to God for something that I've already created in my own life. And God ends up delivering me somehow. And, and I see this cycle played out in my life. And, and so God would allow this people to get to the place where really here's, here's, this, here's what the, the scriptures say about their attitude and where they were at. It says, and again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years, for 40 years. And so at this point, Samson then kind of comes onto the scene. We see that cycle play out. God's people are crying out for God. And so God sends a, a judge for them, this guy named Samson. And we'll see how that actually happens here. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. And now see to it that you drink no wine and other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. And we keep reading. You will become, excuse me, you will keep reading. You, 
you'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And so essentially an angel comes and instructs Samson's mother and, and says, uh, says a couple things, but essentially uh, wrapping it up that, man, I, we're gonna, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to be a hero to the people. But there's a couple things that we want you to keep in mind. We want you to make sure your son takes a Nazarite vow. And so let's talk about what a Nazarite vow is. Essentially, a Nazarite vow is that there's three things. No unclean eating, and there were a list of things that they could not eat. Uh, no wine and no haircuts. No strong drink, no wine, and no cutting of the hair. That was a big no-no. And essentially, this was there was no magic juju in this. This was not like you know, the wizarding world of Harry Potter, essentially, you know, like, essentially, this is just an expression to, for, for someone to be able to set themselves aside to be holy, outside of just being a priest. This was a way to say, God, I, I give you my life. And in this case, his parents did that from the beginning because of the instructions. And so essentially, Samson would never essentially enter a bar or a barbershop for his life. And if he would continue to live that way, then God would continue to show him favor. And so Samson reaches manhood, and he reaches manhood significantly entitled. I mean, he has, because of this Nazarite vow, God gives him this extraordinary strength and position. So he has this authority and these abilities, but unfortunately, not a lot of the character to hold those things up very well. And so as he becomes a man, he knows that he's unique. He almost feels himself probably to be a demigod of some sort, very divine and, and spiritual, but also almost supernatural with his powers, and someone to whom the rules do not apply. And we see that many, many times in his life, how he does things, and he just feels like the rules don't apply to him. We even see this as he, he marries his first wife, and when he gets married, he, he ends up doing some pretty significant gambling during his wedding and ends up losing the bet. And rather than just saying, okay, I lost a bet, he goes into a big fit, ends up having to go beat up and, 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 and steal from a bunch of other guys just to pay off his gambling debt to some guys. And when he comes back for his wife, essentially they didn't think he wanted his wife anymore. And so his best friend ended up taking his wife and marrying his wife. And so that was, that was the moment where we see a really, really rageful Samson. Because here's actually his response from knowing that his best friend takes his wife. He said, Samson said to them, this time I have the right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. And then he fastened a torch to every pair of the tails, which is honestly weird, but that's fine. Let's just keep going. And he lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. So the first thing I think is like, Samson was weird. You know, like that's the way he's like, I'm going to get you guys. Somebody, where's the foxes? You know, like that was just like a, such a weird response to that moment. And so we see him kind of grab it. And, and, and also we essentially feel like, man, Samson's real petty. Like his pettiness level is like 100 for real. Because like this is your response to all this happening. And he doesn't take any ownership of that moment. But if you were to look at this just as just reading it this way, you might think those things. But here's where I would say maybe not so weird 
maybe not so petty. And here's why. If you know anything about the Philistines, let's dig into this people group really quickly, and then we'll move on. The Philistines, they, they had a worship that was centered around the fertility of fields. So essentially, they, of course, they had this like ritual human sacrifice, but really saying, okay, we're going to kill these people, and their blood is going to cause us to have great crops, you know, science, right? And so, um, and then their god, Dagon, was the god of grain. So Samson was attacking their religion just as much as he was attacking their livelihood. So it wasn't that unusual what he was doing. If you know specifically what he was going after, he was mocking their God. He was mocking everything they believed. He was mocking and attacking their identity as a people. And so they become enraged themselves, so much so that they invade the area of the the Israelites, and they basically tell them, either we're going to destroy you guys, or you deliver Samson to us. And so they go searching for this guy, because the options don't look good, and they're like, Samson, you got to turn yourself in. He says, fine, go ahead and, and, and like tie me up. And so when they, when they tie him up and they bring him over, here's essentially what happens in that situation. It says, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him, shouting. And of course, they weren't shouting like, What's up, Samson? Right? They're like, you son. Anyway, so the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and the ropes, uh, the ropes on his arms became like charred flax. And the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Now, remember, they didn't have, you know, Samson didn't have use of anything metal. He didn't have swords. He didn't have anything that could be used as a weapon. So he grabbed whatever he could find, and, and because the Spirit of the Lord came over him, he was able to do an incredible feat. Now we have, from this point on, we end up seeing Samson in two ways. I think this is a very tale of two Samsons. The first is his professional life, in his professional life. Um, here's what it says about Samson as a professional, as this judge. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. And there's nothing really there to lead us to believe that he didn't do a very good job at it. Essentially, it says for 20 years, he led them as a spiritual leader, as a political leader. He, he dealt with their squabbles and, and made judgments about some of the things that they were struggling with. He was, seemed like a kind of a competent leader in that role. And, and there's really no indication to say that this public position was anything but kind of successful. 20 years is a long time to be in one role. The problem is Samson just did not have just a professional life. Samson also had a personal life. And, and, and essentially, his personal life was kind of a hot mess. Samson essentially always showed up for work. Yes, that's true. But, but Samson's professional, uh, personal life ended up having a lot of secrecy to it and a lot of sin, a lot of selfishness. Maybe he, when he clocked in, things were great, and then when he clocked out, he'd go kind of slip away from, for some secret recreation. And, and, that's, and when I think about Samson's life, I, I think about my own life. For so many years, on the outward, what I looked like on the outside, maybe people thought one thing about me. They thought, oh, he could do this, or oh, he's really nice, or he's the life of the party, or whatever. And, and that was who I was outwardly. I, you know, oh, he's pretty responsible. Oh, he loves his family. All of those things. But for so many years, my personal life, my, my, my secret life was not matching up with what maybe others would say. If they knew how my marriage looked, it was a hot mess. If they knew the things that I was watching on a computer for years and years, they would think differently about me. But that was, that was my personal life. That was different than my professional public life. 
And, and, and when I think about Samson, I think about those things in my own life. If, if, I, if I even begin to come to the point that I judge Samson, I have to judge myself because I see that thing. And maybe some of us in this room feel the same way. Maybe some of us in this room have either experienced that or even currently experiencing a time where if someone were to look at you on the outward, everything looks good, you're a great mom or you're, you're, you're really great at work or you know, your professional life or just when people talk to you or even your social media looks really great. But if they were to really know what was going on in your life, what was really going on in your marriage, what was really going on in your personal relationships, what, was, what you were really watching, what you were really ingesting, if people really knew those things, that they would probably think a little differently about where you were at. And, and just like Samson and just like myself, man, there were a lot of close calls in Samson's life. Many, many times he would come to the place, he was public enemy number one. The Philistines wanted Samson's head, and they wanted it bad. And in that, they planted spies and paid informants. They set ambushes. They did all kinds of things where Samson over and over barely escaped with his life. And any normal person would have been like, whew, I'm not going to do that anymore. But he would just continually do it. And again, I can't judge him because many times I've had close calls, but I would continually go down the path that I was going. And so I relate to Samson. Finally, when Samson's about 40 years old, the wheels basically come off of this little uh, wagon. And essentially, he meets a woman named Delilah, and this woman shows herself to be untrustworthy over and over again. In fact, he doesn't know this, but he's getting paid, she's getting paid to be an informant against him. They just want to know where is he getting this great power. And he, he kind of lies to her and lies to her, and she freaks out, all kinds of crazy drama, until finally, because he's just kind of blinded, by her beauty and his desire for her, he divulges the secret, like, hey, listen, a long time ago, I took this Nazarite vow. I'm not supposed to cut my hair. And because if I cut my hair, then essentially I'm not honoring that thing to God, and I really feel like God will take that, that strength away. And essentially, she gives that information up, and the consequences is they come, the Philistines come rushing in after she cuts his hair, and they gouge his eyes out, and they tie him up. Not a pretty scenario. They eventually put him to work on a, on a circular sto stone where he's grinding grain. He's doing the very thing that he was mocking before. For years and years, he lived in darkness and regret. He couldn't see. He was embarrassed. All the things that he found in his identity, all the areas that he leaned on in his life, are now disappeared, and he's now enslaved to the consequences of that. And I know that for so many years, uh, uh, the beginning of my marriage was awful, and we, we almost came to the place where we were going to get a divorce if it wasn't for a man of God who, who had been mentoring me, stepped in and kicked our butts and taught us what marriage really was about, that it wasn't about how that person serves us, but it was how to outserve the other person and how to chase after God first and foremost in that marriage. And, 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 and all of a sudden, the areas of my life that were very secret, God began to deal with and deal with. And if it wasn't for those second and third takes, those opportunities, that grace and mercy that God gave, I, I would not be here today looking like happily married with my best friend after 21 years and three daughters. And, and why? Because God's given me second and third and fourth takes. And I can imagine that Samson feels the same way as he, as he looks at this opportunity. He gets another chance sitting in this building uh, because there is a party that happened, not unlike Mardi Gras. 
And in this party, essentially, they bring him out to mock him some more, but they stand him in between these two pillars, and he cries out to God. And he says, God, please help me avenge the things that these people have done. And because God's whole point in him and and giving him the blessing and the favor of this strength was to combat the Philistines, he honors that. And essentially, Samson's able to push these two pillars that hold up the structure of this building, and it comes tumbling down on all of the people, including himself, and they all die, including Samson. The problem is the grip of the Philistines is not broken. He doesn't actually accomplish his mission. And so when we look at Samson, here's the thing that I would say about Samson. Samson was extremely strong, but he was also extremely weak. And it's very easy to see what his strengths are, but let's talk about, and let's focus on right now for just a moment, what his weaknesses were. Because I think if he were to do it all over again, if he were to do a take two, he would address these weaknesses that we're about to talk, to talk about. Because if he were to address these things, I think things would have looked a lot differently. And so let's talk about those. I think the first weakness that he had is that he lived in, in isolation. He was isolated. In fact, he, he never really bothered to make friends. The only real friend I can think of as I read that story is his best man. Remember how that went? Great friends, right? Or, or essentially, the, the people closest to him were his parents and a woman named Delilah. Didn't go so well for that, for that woman either. And so Samson, when he fell, he fell alone. And, 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 and there might even be many people in this room that say, man, I identify as a Christian so I trust Christ, but I've been to a few churches before, and I know how I was treated. So I might trust Christ, but I don't necessarily trust the body of Christ. And I would say that's a ploy and attack from the enemy. We were never created to live alone. We were created for community. And, and it's so great to see all of you here. And maybe some of you are here, but you're still kind of walking. And then you're like, whoop, you dip out. And that's okay. Everyone is welcome here. But the encouragement, if you really want to move toward God, if you really want to build your relationship with God, then you'll build your relationship with other believers in community. And we know we have life groups here. And, and, and maybe that's an opportunity for you to be a part of being in a community. A great way to, to find out about those is just to fill out a connect card and say, hey, tell me about these life groups. And I don't you know, it doesn't, doesn't say that you have to go to one, but you can at least get some questions answered if you are looking for great community and you don't want to do what Samson did and live in isolation because moving together is better. And, and, and Paul, a, a, man, a man of God who eventually is a man of God, but essentially has a take two in his own life because he lives his very religious life, checking off the boxes, ends up doing a lot of wrong things. And at the end of the day, starts doing unbelievable things for God, writes half of the New Testament. And half of those, those writings are letters. And he writes this letter to a group of new believers. And, and essentially, here's what he says. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every Every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what, here's what God is telling us. We're not supposed to be our individual units. We are all parts, little parts of a big body. And that when we work together, then that's when we can grow. And that's when we can affect our cities and our regions. Moving together is better. And so here's, here's another way to say that. Here's another way to say that. I would say this, that Jesus offers a personal relationship, but not a private one. Yeah, he offers a personal relationship with him, but that relationship shouldn't be private and nobody knows about it. 
In fact, it should be included in, in, in the, the structure of community. So he is isolated. The next area of weakness is that he's prideful. He struggles immensely. It's always someone else's fault, never Samson's. It's the Philistines or it's this woman or it's this situation. And even when he's blinded, you know, he really blames the Philistines for all of these things. And he doesn't really second guess himself or agonize over his mistakes. And even scripture talks about how pride goes before destruction. And then eventually a, a haughty spirit suffers a fall. And that, that thought is that as our pride goes, then we become weaker, even though we think we're acting really strong in our pride. When we, when we don't actually repent, here's, here's what James, who is the, the brother of Jesus himself, as he's kind of coaching others, here's what he says about that. He, he says that, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God, and therefore anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he is jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? And it continues to say, but he gives us more grace. And that is why scripture says that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I don't know about you, but of anyone in the universe I would want opposing me would not be God. <laughs> Yet he shows favor to those who walk in humility. The next area is accountability. He was not accountable. It was, that's a huge weakness. That, that he ignored his parents when his parents tried to coach him. He never sought counsel in all the areas as you read. And he has no accountability. And, and Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest guys as he's doing his ministry, he says it this way. He says, in the, in the same way, you younger people must submit yourselves to your elders. And all of you must put on the apron of humility to serve one another. For the scripture says, God resists the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Another person who has great close interaction with Jesus says the same exact thing. Another area of weakness is that he was self-dependent. And this is the last area we're going to talk about because it is such a huge area. I know as I reflect upon it, I look at my own life and think, man, for so many years, how self-dependent. I just wanted everybody to think, I've got this. Don't worry about this. I've got it covered. If there was ever a situation, I can get myself out of it. I'll figure it out. All I need to do is, you know what? If I only just... And potentially, if you say those words, if you've said those words, if that's a regular thing that you say, you, like me, might, might be, and like Samson, might be struggling with the thought of being self-dependent, relying on our own strength. Yes, God gives us uh, talents and strengths and things in our lives, but it is, he doesn't give those things to, for us to bless ourselves and for us to build ourselves as. He gives us those things to build others up. And, and a reason you might not want to be God-reliant there are probably a bunch of reasons, but I think that one of the biggest reasons is if we're just being honest, and I think I can be honest here, if we're just being honest, many of us, even the ones that say I'm a Christian, struggle with trusting God. I know I'm not the only one that struggles with that. Because in my mind, there are things that have happened in my life and that I've uh, uh, attributed to God and I've blamed them on God and I've associated God with them. Why didn't you come through? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Meanwhile, God was working on my, my behalf the whole time and teaching me things and opening other doors from that experience that only I can look back and see those things. But at the time, it was so hard to trust God. And then the good things that would happen in my life, I would attribute those to myself. Really convenient. Man, I'm good. 
And before you know it, I have a lot of trust, trust in me and, and not a lot of trust in God. And here's, and here's the biggest reason that I, I probably didn't even want to like l- surrender my life or give it to God. And here's why. is because for, for a long time, for a long time, I, I, I really thought that I would have to become a completely different person to be a Christ follower. Look different, act different, talk different, dress different. How to bust out my khakis and get my really heavy Bible. Not to say, I mean, khakis are awesome if you have khakis. I'm just joking. I'm just, I'm just saying they weren't me. Until I read the Bible. Until I actually read what Jesus said about this. And, and here's what he said as, as he's talking to a group of people. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And there are many of us in this room that you've been working so hard to be self-dependent and to handle things on your own, and my guess is that you could use a rest. Jesus is like, give me your worries. Give me your pain. Give me your anxiety. Give me all of the frustrations and hurt that you have. And I'm going to meet you where you are and love you and care for you. All I ever thought was that Jesus was like, oh, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that. And all Jesus is saying, just come and give it to me. I love you. So here's the bottom line. The bottom line is either we can rely on our God-given strength or we can rely on the strength of God. And I I know that I'm not the only one who feels this way. And and I'm telling you that that you don't have to rely on your God-given strength anymore. You can surrender your life to Jesus, and even if, it, I know there's a couple of groups of people in here, there's a group of people who was like, I, I've never even come close to surrendering my life at all to God, and that's fine, I'm gonna talk to you in a second, but I'd love to talk to the people who consider themselves and identify as Christians, and, and many of us as Christians, we've never really surrendered our lives to Jesus, and, and literally laid everything on him. We rely on ourselves. And if that's you, you, you don't have to do that anymore. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. And I know many of you will be like, oh, but you don't know what I've done. He does, and he still loves you. You just, you just have to lay that junk down, and he'll pick it up, and there'll be rest for your souls. So maybe, maybe, maybe when, you, when you think about church and you think about the things of church, you need to ask yourself a couple questions like, you know, do I relate to that cycle? Do I relate to loving God and then kind of straying from God and then eventually finding myself really far from God and having consequences? Because you can choose your actions, but you can't choose your consequences. So all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you're crying out to God and God continues to find, be faithful in that and deliver you, but then you find yourself in a time of great prosperity and greatness, and then all of a sudden you stray again, and maybe you want out of that that cycle. And you just need to have a conversation with God and be honest about yourself and honest to God about that cycle. Or maybe maybe you, like the, the people of Israel, are doing what just is right in your own eyes. You just do what you want. 
God will just forgive me. And that's fine. God, God has unlimited forgiveness, but is, that's not really real repentance. Repentance is turning, turning away from changing your mind about. So maybe some of us in this room need to repent today of even some of the things that nobody knows about. Because maybe you like Samson. I have a pretty good outward appearance, but inside, secretly, in your home, in your marriage, in your thought life, in your actions, it's a different person. And if that's the case, eventually the wheels will come off. And maybe for some of you, the wheels have come off. And you're battling the consequences of that now. And you're crying out to God. And guess what? He will meet you where you're at. And I would continue drawing near to him. But I would encourage you that not everyone has to go through a take two. You can just learn from others' take twos and stick with just a take one. So much easier. So let me pray for you. Why don't you guys close your eyes for me?